Hebrews chapter 11. Again, we are in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read the first seven verses. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this uh, time we get to share, uh, this time we get to look into your word as a, a collective of brothers and sisters in faith. Lord, that we can look uh, at your word and we can understand how you want us to be. We can understand a little bit more about you and how much you love us, Lord. And we can understand a little bit of our dynamic between you and us. Lord, as we go along with our service today, I ask that you would focus our hearts and our minds. Lord, let us take all of our distractions we have from outside of this church and set them outside this church right now so that we may hear from you. And Lord, that you would speak into our lives and you would speak into our situations and we would be reminded that you are in control. Lord, I ask that as Pastor Doug comes and preaches uh, the word you have laid on his heart, you would give him boldness in his voice uh, and in his spirit, Lord, so that he may uh, give us your truth this morning. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a time when I didn't need to have a three-ring binder to hold my notes. All I needed was a three-by-five card and write the, the points on there, and then I would have it all. But that's long gone, my mental capacity. Let's count it up as age. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Yeah. People ask me, what'd you have for dinner last night? And I said, I don't know, something. <laughs> something. Well, I invite you to turn with me once again to the book of Hebrews, specifically in chapter 11 and verse 1. And in coming to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, 
We find it's important for us that we don't divorce this passage from the previous passage. In fact, that's the rule of biblical study. The passage that you are in, how does it coordinate to the passage that was before it? And then how does that chapter coordinate with the other chapters in the book? And then how do those chapters coordinate with the overall arching theme of the word of God? And so on as it goes. Just as a quick reminder, last week the the writer of the book of Hebrews was sharing some things with the congregation that he's writing to, both as a comfort and unfortunately as a correction. The comfort was is that these particular people that we have been looking at in a book that carries their name, Hebrew Christians, was written to them because of turmoil, temptation. As early as chapter 3 and verse 19, the writer of Hebrews mentions that they are not to draw away from God. Be careful that you don't do that for the hardness of your heart or the stiff neckedness that you may come across. Stay pure. Stay focused. And then when we get to chapter 10, it seems that he almost reiterates that particular statement and brings it back to our remembrance so that we, even ourselves today, would not come into the temptation that they are, which is refusing to the old way. But you'll notice as the chapter 10 and and verse 39 finishes, it says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere in our souls. Faith. And when you come to chapter 11 and verse 1, the writer of Hebrews has already answered your question. Your question this morning is, well, what is faith? And he gives us a definition. It's not an all, if you will, extended definition. It's pretty trite in its presentation, for he says faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That seems to be, in in many ways, it doesn't really answer our question, does it? Well, what is faith? How do we circumvent this this life for Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 3 through 4 tells us that the righteous ones walk by faith? It's also repeated by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, the righteous ones walk by faith. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but what is it that we're supposed to walk by? How is it that we are to live this Christian life by faith? We're not going to get a chance to begin to peruse the portraits of chapter 11, but we must first deal with this issue. We must first come to a biblical understanding of what faith truly is. 
And how is it that we as mortal beings can have faith in God? How do we do that? It's a kind of faith that as we get to the portraits and we see their name tags underneath there, you know, Noah and Abraham, and Moses, Abel. And as we look at their portraits, they're all faced with this exact same question that you have. Well, what is faith? And he uses that in an illustrative way when we get to that. Hopefully, we begin by next Sunday getting into some of these wonderful individuals as illustrations of what faith is. But for this morning, we're going to focus on what is faith. The Puritans, in, in many of ways, in their preaching, they focused on, first, they would spend an exorbitant amount of time telling what faith is not. And in that kind of an understanding, you come to realize what faith is not, then it must be this. So if you wish to take notes, there's an empty piece of paper there for you to, to grab hold of. I've gotten away from uh, giving you a, a formal outline only because there's too much information and you would have a folder like mine full that you would need to fill in and we don't have time enough to do that in the morning service. But I want to begin by, here's your heading, what faith is not. What faith is not. And so, when we come to this, number one, faith is not at all, it is not simply a suggestive religious feeling. Faith is not a suggestive religious feeling feeling it's not simply a suggestive religious feeling that is divorced from the objective truth of God that can be known now this is very very important because faith is not simply a feeling a vague and internal if you will that a person engenders and says, oh yes, I'm a person of faith. And you question them as to why or how or what that they'll say, well, they just have a strong feeling inside. If I didn't have faith, they may say, then you would say, well, what is faith? And then they would say, well, I really don't know what it is. But I know that it, that it is, because it's inside me. Well, when you look at the book of Hebrews, <laughs> um, when you look at the definition that is here for us, we have to say that the writer is referring not to some simply subjective religious feeling that is divorced from objective truth. If you want a subjective feeling, and if you wish to call it faith, take a screwdriver and put it in an electrical socket. You get all the faith you want that will tell you, don't ever do that again. 
But that's not biblical faith. That's just a feeling. Now, I'm, I'm not here to say that feelings are wrong. We, we all stand in awe and wonder, don't we, at some sunsets and some sunrises. You've been to places where waterfalls are parading, if you will, down from the top of a hill and down further, and you just stand there amazed at the noise and the beauty that is there. Now, there's nothing wrong with those kinds of feelings, but that's not faith. That's not biblical faith. Any kind of suggestive religious feeling that is divorced or from the objective truth of God's word is not biblical faith. Now, something I want to point this out is this. And I don't want to delay on it. The New Testament faith is not then some strong feeling in your stomach. I get that around noontime every day. It's not about that. We must have faith that is supported by biblical truth. Secondly, biblical faith is not the attitude of people who accept something as true, but apart from the evidence. Biblical faith is not the attitude of people who accept something as true apart from the evidence. These are people who think that Christian faith has to do with taking your brain out and putting it underneath the seat. These are the ones who think that faith, Christian faith, is just a leap into darkness. You never find that in the Word of God. It's not something that we divorce our thinking from. It's sort of like, if you will, sort of what our present-day society is, is. It's like the guy who goes to a psychiatrist. Tells the psychiatrist that he's bitter. The psychiatrist says, Did you came up with that? Yes, he said, I know that I did, but I'm still dead. The psychiatrist says, We're having a conversation. Doesn't that mean anything to you at all? No, absolutely nothing at all. I'm still dead. Psychiatrist who is struggling trying to come up with something to bring this man back to reality says, Do dead men bleed? Well, no. Dead men don't bleed. So the psychiatrist took a needle, took a pin, drove it into the guy's thumb, pressed the end of it, and out of the end of his thumb came blood. And as he did so, the man said, Oh dear, dead men do bleed. you see, that's the projection of something that I want to be clear in this case, even though the evidence says it isn't the case at all. That's not Christian faith. People who say that of us, we would understand what they're saying, or 
they've never really considered the New Testament. Thirdly, Christian faith is not the kind of positive mental attitude which seeks to make the thing believed in happening. The kind of power of positive thinking. It's not that. Now don't get me wrong. I I love being around positive people. Except when your football team is 0-11 and you're still proclaiming that we're number one. That's just foolishness. But Norman Vincent Peale, in his book, The Power of Positive Thinking, said these things concerning faith. According to your faith in yourself, according to your faith in your job, and according to your faith in God, this far you will go, get and no further. So, faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in your job, they're all kind of the same business, aren't they? How is it that? But positive thinking is not biblical faith. And this also is in this same book, The Power of Positive Thinking, when Norman Vincent Peale says, the first thing that you do when you wake up, you say it out loud in your bedroom, I believe, I believe, I believe. Now he doesn't say what or whom, doesn't say really any matter on what or whom we're to believe. The New Testament is crucial. You see, is the object of our faith it is the ground of our faith which gives it significance. It's not the immensity of our internal sensations. So genuine biblical faith is not simply plumbing ourselves up to believe that which the evidence precludes, like the guy who fell from the 40-story building. And as he comes down on the 19th floor, one of the secretaries hear him shouting, So far, so good. People are going through their lives just like that, aren't they? Well, it hasn't happened yet, but I have faith. Oh, yes, I do. I have faith. In what? In whom do you have faith? Real faith in Hebrews chapter 11 makes clear that is not based on our feelings which are unstable and which can fluctuate in our daily activities. But real faith, biblical faith, is reliable since it's based on the trustworthiness and reliability of God. Notice verse 6. So it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. In other words, biblical faith starts with God. Starts with God. When you come to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, 
the verse begins with a declaration where it says, in the beginning, everybody, God. It's not a mathematical, he doesn't go on, the writer of that book does not go on to prove it mathematically. He, he doesn't go on and try to prove it psychologically. He declares the simple fact and the simple truth that everything began and begins with God. So it is with faith. For without biblical faith, it is impossible to please God. For we must first believe that he is. Now that's an interesting phrase in and of itself if you take the time to study that. Realize that in the Hebrew it really says we must believe that he is who he says he is. And, and the only place that I find that we have words that who God says he is is located in the word that he's written for us to have to find out who he says he is. So all biblical faith begins with God. Now the psalmist also makes an interesting statement for the psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, there is what? No God. As someone once reminded me, and though I've never been in this situation, but someone once reminded me that you never find an atheist in a foxhole. And yet we have individuals who even walk the streets of freedom declaring that there is no God. So what is biblical faith? Where, where do we need to begin? Well, believing faith is not the fluctuating notions of some kind of subjective dimensions as I'm quoting an individual. And may I ask you all a question? applies to every one of us in this room. Are you a man of faith? Are you a woman of faith? Are you a child of faith? Are you a teenager, young adult of faith? That brings us to wondering, well, what is faith? What is it all about? What is faith all about? Well, let me give you the first, if you will, if you're taking notes, and I'm pleased that you are. Faith is this. As we come to this particular verse, in verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let's imagine, if you will, that you and I bought an island somewhere in the Pacific. And we bought it sight unseen, never been there. And we did the transaction in a lawyer's office somewhere 
And we sat down with the seller and with the lawyer and ourselves, and he drew up the contract of sale, and he determined how large it was and what it had on it and what it would be, and when we could take ownership of it and so on, and, and then we sign up. But some title company said, okay, now we'll put this all down and we'll give it to you and we'll put a big stamp on the front and we'll notarize it and you can carry it around in your pocket and, and then when you are going in, on in your life and someone says to you, hey, what's been happening to you recently? You can say, hey, I own an island in the Pacific. And the individual says, oh yeah? You been there? No. What's it like? Well, I haven't actually seen it. Well, how do you know you've got it? Oh, I've got it. Well, tell me why. Well, here is my deed, my title deed. It says, here it's my island. And that's exactly an island there. And the guy who sold it to me is trustworthy. That's why I can be confident. I'm going to go to heaven. You are. Have you ever seen it? No. I've not seen it. Well, what's it like? I don't really know. You sure it's there? Yes. How, how can you be certain? Well, I've got a title deed. And I carry it with me. In fact, sometimes I only carry half of it in my pocket. But yet it was signed by something, someone whom I've never seen. But yet I believe. You got to be pretty confident that the guy was telling the truth. You know what? I'm absolutely certain he's telling the truth. Where'd you get that from? Did you pump yourself up? No, no. But I can't explain it. I can't even explain how certain I am. I cannot explain it. It's not credulity. It's not wishful thinking. Well, then what is it? Well, the one who signed the title deed is infallible. The one who signed the title deed is trustworthy completely. The one who signed the deed is faithful and has never failed. So when you come to those two phrases in verse 1, what you're actually saying to anyone, well, what is faith? Well, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of those things that though I haven't seen it, I know it to be true because the title owner of it has declared it to be so. That's biblical faith. You see, faith is only as good as the one that you put it in or the thing that you put it in. Faith is not anything accomplished on our own. 
In fact, we come to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, those very familiar words that say, for by grace, here's the phrase, you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works that any man should boast. So where do works come in? Well, works come in as a sign of faith. Not for faith, but because of faith. And you see, and isn't that what chapter 11 is all about? When we begin to see these portraits of these wonderful creatures, these characteristics, if you will. Forgive me for calling them creatures. I, I don't know what they look like. You don't either. But even someone said this morning, Pastor, you look pretty good. I said, you need new glasses. But they're individuals that their life story, though we don't know all of it, is given to us so that we, as we struggle in our own life, can realize that there were individuals that were just like us. Uh, can you even begin to imagine? Here's a conversation I wrote down. Here, here's a conversation. God talking to Noah. Noah, build me a boat. What's a boat? Oh, it's going to be a big one. In fact, it's located somewhere in Kentucky if you haven't been there. Well, I thought that'd get better rise out of you, but apparently not. I want you to build me an ark. Why? Because it's going to rain. Rain? What's rain? Never rained before. But as you're building the ark, I want you to be telling people that it's going to rain, and the only place they can come for safety is in the ark. And then all the townspeople are down at the, at the Starbucks in the town, and they're saying, that Noah, what is that? What is wrong with him? He's telling us it's going to rain. It hasn't rained since I've been born. How old are you, Jack? I'm at least 200 years old. It hasn't rained. No. What's wrong with him? <laughs> that Noah. And for 120 years of faithfulness, believing in what God said, it happened. Sometimes that's biblical faith, isn't it? It takes time to develop. It takes time to become a reality. And so when we get to these individuals, each one of them shows us that even in the midst of their hardship of days, they had faith, not in and of themselves, but in the one who spoke it. Faith. They realized that the one who signed the deed will complete it. In fact, let me give you three things that are involved in faith. First of all, in knowledge knowledge. Faith is dependent upon what can be known about God. It's not something that, that we can't go too far from the scriptures. When it talks about in John chapter 17 and verse 3 that Jesus is saying, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, and that they may, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent, they may know you. Gaining of facts. 
Knowledge is testing it out to see if what it says is true. It's knowledge. How can you know God? Maybe someone will ask. How, how can you know Him? Well, the answer to that question is quite easy. Because even in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, we remember that God said, Now I speak through my Son. Jesus Christ as a historical individual, not uncounted in any history book, is the living proof that there is God. There's knowledge in that. Now, whether you take that for granted or, or not, that's up to you. That's up to the individual. But you can know God because Jesus Christ came so that you can know God. It's a simple truth of the Scriptures. The second thing that comes into knowledge is called mental assent. Mental assent. Now, I don't want you to get get confused, and especially the, the, the younger ones here in our congregation this morning, I don't want you to think that you can come to know God by assent. No, it's mental assent. Mental assent is a little bit deeper than knowledge. Mental assent is coming to agree with the knowledge that you have gained. Does it make sense? That's where we come, mental assent. Does it make sense to you? Do you understand what the scriptures are saying? And in full, if you will, the scriptures have a lot to say about God, about Christ, about heaven. And all of it, mental assent. But that still is not enough. True biblical faith is knowledge, mental assent, and finally trust moving in, moving on what you have said. You may have the knowledge that, that, yes, there is a God. The heavens declare his glory. There's not a place that you can go that you will not find an evidence of who God is because all of the earth declares his glory. And, and you may look at that and say, yeah, okay, I can, I can conjecture that. I can reason that. I, I, I do find that to be something that might be helpful. But if you stop there, it gets you no place. You must come to trust. You must move. You must take action on that particular subject. So here the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that not only is faith that which is uh, assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things that are not seen, but in verse 6, but it's something that only God is pleased with. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. May I close with just a, a quick illustration to tie this all together. comes at a time where we <coughs> excuse me it's called marriage marriage is literally a, a three stage 
situations. First, you see an individual, and you say, I'd like to get to know that person. And so you begin to spend time with him. You may go out to McDonald's because the individual is cheap. And, and then you might go to a park and eat it and think it's all great and wonderful. But you get to talk to each other. You begin to become familiar with each other. You, you see how each other reacts in life situations. You may even investigate how well does the individual, do, do they relate to nieces and nephews? You want to know a little bit about the individual. And then, and then from there, you begin to have some kind of mental assent. You, you begin to think, can I trust this person? Can I trust this person with my whole life? Am I able to lay aside my wants and not wants and just trust this individual? And then you find yourself at that glorious moment. It may be at a fancy dinner this time. He's moved from McDonald's. Now now, now you're up at uh, Olive Garden. And, and as you're having supper there together, or dinner, or whatever it is, the individual reaches in his pocket and pulls out a case. And he begins to open it up, and, and inside is a, a ring. And you kind of wonder to yourself, well, where is this thing going? And the individual finally says, I've come to know you. I, I've, I've come to believe that who you are as a person is someone that I can trust. And in fact, not only do I want to trust you, but I'm giving to you a pledge that you can trust me. And so from there, the ring goes on the finger. And after that, thousands of dollars are spent on something that no one really remembers. Honey, I don't remember what we had at our reception after I said I do. Remember I do. Let me count that up as eight, amen? But yet in reality, isn't that how it is to come into relationship with God? 